Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the roaring 20s and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You're listening to an Ono Media podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Welcome back. Welcome back. Another week, another episode. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed our 200th episode. And here we are with 201. Going to kind of jump into some things. We are working on merch. And I cannot promise, but kind of promise that there will be an announcement in the next week or two. So that is that. We reworked all of our merch stuff, so that's why it's been a minute, but we are excited for this. I actually, before we get into your 10 seconds, I want to do a lowdown real quick on Ono Media, just for anyone who's new and listening. Mm -hmm. So our network is Ono Media. Um, We founded it after starting Murder With My Husband, which is the podcast you're listening to, which led us into starting my solo show, formerly called Binge, now called Into the Dark with Peyton Moreland. And then we also have a true crime news show called Rising Crime that is twice a week that just basically keeps you updated on everything true crime. Those are the three shows of Ono oh Media, and we are so happy to have you here. And before we jump into the 10 seconds, if you want any bonus content or ad-free content, if you're sick of hearing ads, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, which is also Patreon. So you can subscribe on any of those three things and you won't have any ads. You also have bonus episodes every month and it helps support us. Then last thing, we stream on Twitch every single Thursday at 5.30 PT. So come check it out. It's always a great time. So we're hopping into my 10 seconds and got a pretty decent story for everybody. So we were at our studio recording some things and we were getting ready to leave. We just, just kind of finished everything and our office keys are attached to our car keys so we don't lose them right which are also attached to Peyton's wallet blah yada 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 
Anyways, so Peyton walks out of the office and I go, oh, she definitely grabbed the keys. Like 100%. Because I got in the car. Because she got in the car. So she had to grab the keys because she wouldn't have gotten in the car. So then I walk out of the office, door shuts, get in the car. And guess what? We didn't have the car keys, which also had the office key, which also had Peyton's wallet. We were locked out of the office. We couldn't drive the car anywhere. And we also didn't have Peyton's wallet. Well, and I think it's important to note that our office door actually has two different locks on it. Yes. So, so there is a magnetic lock and then just a regular deadbolt lock. And so I couldn't lock the deadbolt lock because we didn't have the keys, but the magnetic lock was locked. So we couldn't get inside the office to and get the keys. Yes. To drive. To drive. So we're sitting in the car and our extra keys also inside in the our office. office. So we just are stuck there. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're cracking up. We're just like, we can't like, literally there's nothing we can do. We're just stuck there. We're just sitting in the car. N nothing, no engine running. Like just how, what do we do from here? So I'm a freaking genius. And I was like, okay, if we get something really long, we can hopefully, and I can stick it through the door and up. I think we can trigger the magnetic like sensor to then unlock the door. Right. And so I found in the back of our car, a brochure. A brochure for an open house. Yes. That we have walked by and just like taken a brochure to be um, polite. Mm -hmm. So I found this brochure. I folded it up. By the way. Opened this is, it all the way up. This is on film, by the way. Peyton recorded the last like, I don't know, 30 seconds. Well, because I start thinking as you're walking over and like yeah. waving this brochure, I'm like this. We have this running joke where we record things all the time for, I guess, home videos, mm -hmm. if you will. And so I just got out my phone, started recording for a home video. I'm explaining in the car, like in the video, I'm explaining everything that's going on. Yeah. So had this brochure, went and stuck it in there, was wiggling it around. It wasn't working. So I folded it up again to make it stiff and I'm sticking it around. And all of a sudden I reach with my other hand and the door freaking opens. The door opens. It, it opens. Was it with was a paper brochure. One of the best fillings in the world. I can't believe that word with a paper brochure. I don't know what we would have done. We, I guess, call a locksmith. The brochure, it was probably like, it was probably four feet long. Yeah. It was long. Yeah. So we got in the office, we got our keys back, and we will never make that mistake again. All is well. And don't, don't, we, we usually lock the deadbolt. So don't try to come sticking a brochure don't to be, get in. Don't even try. <laughs> we do lock the deadbolt and we got the cameras. You do not <laughs> want to mess with the wrath of Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we got in. It's a good story. We'll post it on social media. Um, we'll, and if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put it in. We got to put um, the video in. We'll put the video so in. The, you guys should be watching it right now. But yeah, that's my 10 seconds this week. Let's hop into this week's episode. Our sources for this episode are Dancing on Her Grave by Diane Montaigne and Carolina Sarasasa, CBS News, Las Vegas Sun, NBC News, New York Post, Las Vegas Weekly, Daily Mail, People.com, Deseret News, ABC News, New York Daily News, Fox News, ReviewJournal.com, TheCinemaholic.com, and the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So according to a statistic released by the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, Nearly three to four million women in the U.S. find themselves in domestically violent situations every single year. Typically, it isn't one isolated incident, but a recurring issue. And yet, domestic violence remains one of the most underreported crimes in our country. Mm -hmm. 
There's a lot of reasons why both men and women find themselves stuck in these situations. Sometimes it's because they fear their own safety or the safety of their loved ones. Other times their finances or resources are completely tied to their abuser, making it harder for them to start over on their own. Sometimes people stay because they really are in love and believe their abuser will change their behavior soon enough. And let's face it, the high of being in love is unlike any other feeling out there. It's addictive, irresistible, and sometimes it turns us into someone we don't even recognize. Love can be all-consuming, and in the event of today's case, love was a tool weaponized against our victim in both life and death. So today our story kicks off in the city of Sin, Las Vegas, circa 2010. Behind the roaring casinos, the feather-clad showgirls, and the mustached magicians, there's a whole society of people who call this city their permanent home. Good old LV. People who've come far and wide to try and make something of themselves amongst the glitz and the glamour, who find the chaos of a city like this to be comforting, even welcoming, a kindred spirit to their own unpredictable selves. And among them is a 31-year-old dancer named Deborah Flores Narvaez. Born in Puerto Rico in 1979, Deborah's family moved to Baltimore, Maryland when she was about seven years old. Her older sister Celeste became her lifeline as Deborah, although beautiful and popular, found herself standing out as the Latina girl in school. Still, Deborah worked hard to make something of herself. She got good grades, had an insatiable hunger for knowledge, and in her 20s, she earned not one, but three degrees after attending two different colleges. Yeah. One in marketing, one in international business, and a third in law. Essentially, the world was Deborah's oyster. But regardless of how hard she worked, there was one passion Deborah always found herself coming back to, and that was dance. While she was never professionally trained, you would have had no idea because Deborah learned it all. Salsa, hip hop, ballroom, you name it, Deborah crushed it. In 2007, she even auditioned and became a cheerleader for the Washington Redskins NFL team over oh. in DC. Okay. But believe it or not, professional cheerleading was not designed to be a full-time job, which is a whole different argument we can talk about later. <laughs> okay, okay. But this meant that Deborah still had to fill her nine to five with a way to pay the bills. And throughout her 20s, she took on some pretty impressive roles, like a financial analyst, senior manager of financial operations, and a junior investment analyst. But no matter how much money Deborah was making and how high she was climbing the ladder, she wasn't happy working the regular nine to five grind. Deborah was interested in a life of adventure. And the only thing she really wanted to earn a living doing was the thing she loved most. So in 2009, her boyfriend, Jamile McGee, pitched her an idea. What if they moved to Las Vegas and pursued their dreams together? See, Jamile was also a dancer. In fact, he'd been a finalist on the TV show, So You Think You Can Dance. So did you watch the season or is it too old or do you remember? Or? No, I definitely didn't watch. I've only watched like actually two seasons. Oh, it surprises me. I know. Well, it used to be really good. So I watched oh. a little bit of the older season. Okay, got you. Um, But... Anyways, so he's on So You Can Dance. He figured there was so much opportunity in Las Vegas, so many shows and performances that could open up doors for the couple, which mm -hmm. is kind of true if you're a dancer. 
Deborah, who'd been eager to trade in her business attire for sequin bodysuits, couldn't resist the temptation. She agreed, and she and Jamile moved out west that same year. In a lot of ways, Jamile was an inspiration to Deborah. At age four, he'd been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and was told he would never be able to walk, wow. let alone dance again. Yet he overcame those odds and went on to be a professional dancer by age 14. Jamile and Deborah had met dancing in grade school, but Jamile went on to study the art professionally in college. It wasn't until a few years before their move that the two reconnected and a romance blossomed. In many ways, Jamile was the perfect person for Deborah to move out west and follow her dreams with. But there were also whispers of trouble in paradise. In June of 2009, just shortly after their move to Vegas, Deborah filed a police report against Jamile for domestic abuse. She claimed he'd kicked her and dragged her from the car up to their apartment where he continued to assault her. Okay. Deborah took the case to court and ended up winning a $250,000 oh. settlement, claiming the bruises and scarring had cost her modeling jobs and other income. But the thing was, Deborah never collected on the payout. To her, it was just kind of more about the principle of it. Instead, she broke up with Jamile and let him keep his money with a stern warning. Never pull something like that again. Deborah moved out of the place she shared with Jamile and got a condo located just across the street from the Luxor Hotel. She found a regular gig working as a backup performer for a famous adult review show called Fantasy, also based at the Luxor. She also got a roommate, a fellow performer named Sonia Sonnenberg. Sonia worked in the Cirque du Soleil shows, doing everything from the trapeze to the aerial ropes and scarves, which was likely how Deborah was introduced to several other members of the Circa community, including a dancer for the Beatles' love show at the Mirage Hotel, a 31-year-old named Jason Blue Griffith. He kind of went by the name Blue. Now, Jason was exactly Deborah's type, a trained ballet dancer who'd studied at LaGuardia Performing Arts High School in New York City, which was home to many famous alumni like Jennifer Aniston, Timothy Chalamet, and Nicki Minaj. Wow. He then went on to get a degree at the famed Juilliard, where he studied dance, drama, and music. Before then finding his way to Vegas, Jason was even a backup dancer for Jay-Z and had since been aspiring towards his own rapping career. So after he and Deborah first met around Thanksgiving of 2009, it was off to the races. The two seemed inseparable, and by early 2010, they were in a monogamous relationship. Or at least, that's what Deborah believed. She spoke about him to her friends constantly, singing his praises, telling everyone that she had fallen in love. Jason even asked her to star as the romantic lead in a music video he was making for his new song, Sex Games. But those who knew Jason felt the situation probably wasn't what Deborah believed it to be. Even her roommate Sonia said right away she knew the partnership wasn't going to be a healthy one. And why? Well, Jason had multiple love interests around the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. Okay. Deborah seemed to just be the girl of the moment. When another woman Jason was seeing caught his music video on YouTube, he tried to cover it up by saying Deborah was just a friend, someone he'd hired for the job. Mm. They weren't romantically involved in any way, which by that point was definitely a blatant lie. Yeah. He and Deborah had been intimate on several occasions, clearly to the point that she was calling him her boyfriend and believed that she was the only one doing so. 
But Las Vegas is a lot smaller than you'd think, particularly when it comes to the performers in the town who all seem to run in the same circles and know one another. That doesn't surprise me. Which was how Deborah eventually realized she was not the only one Jason Blue Griffith was seeing. Okay. A few months into dating, she called a magician friend named Renee crying, saying she'd found out that Jason was cheating on her. But what followed struck Renee a bit odd. Deborah admitted to him that she was willing to make that sacrifice, allow Jason to see other women, just as long as he was still agreeing to see her. Now, this set off several red flags for Renee, who thought this didn't sound like the Deborah he knew. She was strong. She always stood her ground. She was a take no crap from no one type, mm-hmm. type of gal. So why was she making exceptions for Jason? Renee encouraged her to get out now before she found herself too deeply invested in Jason. But she clearly didn't heed his advice. The couple found themselves on and off over the next six months. Interesting. But come October 2010... Things got really ugly between Deborah and Jason. Once you try Bombas, you'll never look at socks the same way again. They've obsessed over details like foot-hugging honeycomb arch support, anti-blister tabs, and cushion footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet. Let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear. Bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear... You also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear they're so soft they pay attention to details i just really really love bombas get comfy this spring and give back with bombas head over to bombas.com husband and use code husband for 20 percent off your first purchase that's b-o-m-b-a-s.com husband and use code husband at checkout this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So like we all have stuff that stresses us out, right? Whether it's big or small, it can really get to us if we keep it all inside. And therapy is a safe space to just let it all out and figure out how to deal with the stuff that's weighing us down. And I am such a huge advocate for therapy. It truly has changed my life for the better. I could go on and on. I feel like I have the tools now to handle panic attacks or just major stressors in life and also a safe space to say whatever I need to say to an unbiased party. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com husband today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot husband. On October 7th, Deborah and Jason got into a heated argument. She'd caught Jason at another woman's home, a fellow Cirque du Soleil performer named Agnes Rue. But she was kind of allowing that, correct? I think so, but it definitely wasn't what she wanted. So if she was getting her way, I don't think this yeah. would be happening. So she catches him, and the couple fought for a while inside Deborah's car where Jason deliberately headbutted her. Oh my gosh. Causing her 
to smash her head on the steering wheel. Okay. The force was so powerful, she even broke the windshield wiper lever along the side of the wheel. Holy crap. Then about two weeks later, there was another incident over Agnes, the same lady. Mm -hmm. On October 21st, both Deborah and Agnes were following Jason in their respective vehicles, perhaps now working together to try and bust him in his infidelity. Eventually, Jason seemed to take notice and pulled his car over, bringing both of his girlfriends to a stop behind him. That's when he got out and approached the driver's side of Deborah's car. He pulled open the door, grabbed Deborah's phone, and threw it several yards away. When Deborah went out to get it, Jason lunged at her, pushing her to the ground, kicking her, and pulling her hair. I know domestic violence goes both ways. Um, usually it's male to female, but it's crazy to me that as a male, um you're just naturally so much stronger usually than females but to push them and throw them and kick them and punch them is majority of the time not always there's a lot of females that could kill me but usually it's just i don't know it's just messed up it's weird that that can run through someone's head as their first reaction and i think sadly once you break that barrier in a relationship yes. there's kind of no and that's kind of where i was getting i feel like once you cross that barrier, it's all not always going to be there, but it's there. You've done it. How do you right? take it back? It's kind of like when you when someone kills someone, you've killed someone. You've crossed a barrier that yeah, and you shouldn't cross. And I think you know once you've tried or attempted to solve a problem like that in any relationship, physically, mm -hmm. um, your then habit is to continue trying to solve or do anything like that physically and it's just not it's not good it's violence not good. violence is not the answer never so there were some reports that claimed deborah may have also been pregnant with his child during this time oh my god although i will say there's never been any confirmation of okay. this okay. and it's unclear to what extent agnes actually witnessed this physical assault but i do know that around this time she broke up with jason claiming she had no interest in being with him if he was still seeing deborah or any other women for that matter I also know that Deborah was brave enough to go to the police after this incident and file a report. Given the extensive bruising and the giant clump of hair missing from her scalp, police felt inclined to arrest Jason for domestic violence and coercion. These were charges that he was scheduled to face in court by the end of that calendar year. But this clearly didn't stop Deborah and Jason from getting back together again. Because about two weeks after his arrest, around November 2nd, 2010, Another domestic disturbance call was made to the North Las Vegas Police Department, this time at Jason's apartment after he was the one to make the phone call, insisting that Deborah had been the one physically assaulting him now. But when police spoke with Deborah, she seemed calm and controlled, saying they had gotten into a verbal argument but had worked it out. The cops left that night without filing any formal reports or charges because it was just kind of, okay, yeah. he said, she said. However, things hit a breaking point for Jason and Deborah in December of 2010. That month, Agnes told Jason she'd be willing to get back together with Jason under one condition. Deborah was out of the picture for good. Meanwhile, on December 8th, a detail from Deborah's past resurfaced. She'd changed her mind about the settlement that she'd won from her lawsuit against mm, her ex, okay. Jamile McGee. Yeah. Now, she wanted to collect. And that day, she contacted her lawyer to follow up on those arrangements. Around the same time, Deborah sent a strange, cryptic text message to her mother. It read this. 
In case there is ever an emergency with me, contact Blue Griffith in Vegas, my ex-boyfriend, not my best friend. Which was mostly alarming to Deborah's sister, Celeste, who's wondering what kind of emergency should they be expecting, number one, and why should they go to Jason? Yeah, why the ex-boyfriend? And she clarified, not my best friend. Yes. This is despite the fact that Deborah had told her family little to nothing about the domestically violent situations with Jason. Deborah was always careful not to worry her older sister and her mother, only updating them on the positive things that were going on in mm -hmm. her life. Like, for example, the giant opportunity Deborah was getting at work. See, over the last few weeks, Deborah was asked to take on a bigger role in her show, Fantasy. Okay. Deborah had brought in an old friend, major R&B artist, Cisco, like Thong Song, Cisco, okay, okay. to come perform a few shows with them. There was going to be a two-week run in which Deborah danced alongside him while he performed his hit song. And if it went well, Deborah knew it would open more doors for her in the future. So come December 12th, there were two big dress rehearsals scheduled to practice the routine, one in the morning and one around midnight. Well, that day, Deborah showed up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for the morning practice, ready to greet her old friend and blow her fellow dancers out of the water. And everything went off without a hitch. Afterwards, Deborah said goodbye, promising to see everyone for the midnight practice. She went home, showered, grabbed her things. Then she told her roommate, Sonia, she was heading over to Jason's for a little bit. Which... I don't know. I, I want to ask why, but I mean, I know why. There's just a lot of trauma and stuff around it, but why? You just don't why? want to. Like, come on, why? It's it's hard. I think it's frustrating to hear. I mean, obviously it's frustrating to be in that situation, but it just sucks to hear. Well, it's also hard because like you said, we know why. Like, this is very common. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and it's, 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 it's convoluted. Yes, it happens all the time. So they were going to order some food and watch a few episodes of the TV show Dexter before she had to be back at the Luxor for rehearsal. How freaking ironic. Yeah. But when 12 a.m. rolled around with no sign of Deborah at practice, her fellow performers started to worry. They knew how important this was to Deborah. It didn't make sense for her to not call or not show. So a few of Deborah's castmates call around looking for her, eventually phoning her roommate, Sonia, who's also starting to panic because she knows the last person Deborah claimed to go see was Jason. Jason. Yep. And Sonia knows this is just kind of a toxic relationship. So that night, she calls the police, as does one of Deborah's castmates. But it isn't until December 15th, two days later, that the police finally stop by Jason's house to question him. So they report her missing, and it isn't until two days that police send someone yeah. to talk to Jason, who they both say she was last with. Okay. When detectives arrived, Jason was out in his driveway fixing a flat tire on his car, but he wasn't as cooperative as they would have liked. He barely made eye contact with the officers, claiming he was in a hurry to get to work and didn't have a ton of time to answer their questions. He did, however, admit, yeah, Deborah did come over to see him on the night of the 12th, but... She never got out of her car. They only chatted for a few minutes through Deborah's driver's side window, and then she took off, and he hadn't seen her since. There was no takeout, no episodes of Dexter. She never stepped foot inside the apartment, according to Jason. But two days later, on December 17th, police found a pretty important piece of evidence in this missing person's case. They found Deborah's car. It had been abandoned in some random Las Vegas backyard, more than 17 miles away from where she was last seen at Jason's house. Even stranger, the license plates had been removed from the car. Interesting. Yep. 
But police- so they were probably going to resell it and then it would have been gone. Yes, but police knew it was Deborah's because of a makeup bag that had been left in the front seat. Okay. When Deborah's sister Celeste heard about the abandoned vehicle, her heart sank. It was in that moment that she realized her sister probably didn't just up and disappear. Something had likely happened to her, something sinister. The public information officer for the Las Vegas Metropolitan PD essentially reaffirmed those fears, saying that the more time that goes by, the worse the outcome may be. Mm-hmm. At this point, Deborah had been missing for about a week, which then turned into a month. Oh, man. Meanwhile, both Jamile McGee and Jason Griffith were being considered persons of interest, which what with their connections to Deborah and the police reports that had been filed against each of them, this kind of makes sense. At the same time, police were looking for any piece of evidence that could tie someone to her disappearance, sifting through cell phone records, credit card purchases, even combing the car for blood or other forms of DNA. Unfortunately, nothing was setting off alarm bells for detectives. It wasn't until Deborah's sister Celeste arrived in Las Vegas and spoke with police that she realized her sister had even been in these abusive partnerships. Deborah had always been one to sugarcoat her situation and kept a lot of the dark stuff hidden from Celeste so she didn't beg her to come back home. But when Celeste learned there had been three recent domestic violence reports against Jason, she couldn't help but reach out to him herself. On January 5th, 2011, Celeste called Jason to try and get some information out of him about her sister's disappearance. And she was shocked by how calm and forthcoming he was over the phone. In fact, Jason acted a little too relaxed. Probably because it's been months after everything happened and he feels that, I don't know who did it. I don't know what's going on yet, but he feels that he got away with it because, come on, everyone, we probably know who did it. So although he did offer her some new information that he hadn't shared with police, he told Celeste that Deborah did actually come up to his apartment that night, although she never came inside. They spoke it's, at his door. It's, it's they all, This always happens. The lies. I feel like, so can you get in trouble for that? Lying, Lying to, the, to police? Yes. Yeah. Obstructing like, justice. Could they come back and be like, dude, you lied to us? Yeah, but it's going to be such a small charge. That but they could really confront matter. him. They okay. could confront him. They could use this as an interrogation tactic. Yeah. Um, And then he also tells her, yeah, so she comes up to the front door. Your sister came up to the front door that night. um, And I basically was reiterating to her that night that we were breaking up. And then according to Jason, he asked her to leave, which he says she did without any pushback. She was like, okay, we're breaking up. Bye. That's according to Jason. And after that, he never heard from her again. Now, this sets off some pretty big red flags for Celeste because she knows her sister pretty well. And it's not like Deborah to just take it on the chin and walk away from a situation like that. She knows her sister would have given him a hard time. She was always someone who fought for what she wanted. There was no way she tucked her tail between her legs and took off into the night like Jason was claiming. And turns out Celeste was on to something here because that same day, a woman called the Las Vegas Police Department to say she had some pertinent information about the case a confession that would blow this case wide open okay so her name was Cale Casorso and she was another secret girlfriend that Jason had been juggling alongside his relationships with Agnes and Deborah and Calais tells police that back on December 14th Jason called her to ask her for a favor He told her he was planning to move and asked if she could store a few things in her apartment in the meantime. 
Now, Calais finds this strange, mainly because she and Jason had called it quits by that point after she too had found out he was sleeping with a variety Mm -hmm. of other women in Las Vegas. Still, considering they ended on okay terms, she's like, sure, you can try to store some stuff here. I don't have a ton of space, but bring it over and we'll see where we can fit it. A short while later, Calais looks out the window and sees Jason outside with a U-Haul. She goes downstairs, dreading this confrontation, particularly because Jason's not alone. He's with his roommate, a large, intimidating guy with a ponytail named Louis Colombo. And Louis is standing in the back of the U-Haul, hovered over a giant blue tub that's filled to the brim with dried concrete. Oh, gotta be kidding me, man. Come on. When Kalei asked what was inside the tub, Jason told her she didn't want to know. But she finally got it out of him. Jason looked her in the eyes and said, Deborah's in there. Why would he tell her that? Clay demanded Jason and Louie leave immediately, which thankfully they did. And that was the last she'd heard about that tub. But for the next several weeks, Clay was terrified. She didn't know if the whole thing was just some sort of sick joke or if they were telling the truth. And she can't help but wonder if Jason would come back and do the same thing to her if she goes to police with this information, which is why it took her another month to find the courage to eventually call the police. Mm After which, they shifted their focus to another witness and possible co-conspirator, the 31-year-old roommate, Louis Colombo. Two days after police spoke with Calais, they tracked down Louis and secured his cooperation with a deal. If he confessed to what happened that night between Jason and Deborah, they'd offer him immunity from arrest and prosecution. Take that that and run. Obviously, that's an offer he's not going to refuse. So from there, Louis told detectives everything about the night of December 12th. Can they take it back or is it like signed and writing? Signed and writing with lawyers. Unless the police think that he lied and did something else. Yes. Okay. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch. And it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years. So it is absolutely amazing. Easy to use. So intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com husband. We're jumping into an ad right now, and I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. 
Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make you sick i'm not saying that it 100 works for everybody because obviously you never know but all i'm saying is i haven't been sick since i started taking it well and the science behind it is so cool armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80 percent of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season plus in clinical trials bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu we've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. It went a little something like this. That evening, Deborah did come over and did go inside the condo that Louis and Jason shared. Louis was home that evening along with his girlfriend and his two kids. And all of them heard another ugly argument between Deborah and Jason. It got so bad that at one point, Louis felt the need to step in and break wow. it up. Okay. When he entered the room, he saw Jason on top of Deborah with his hands around her neck. So Louis went over to pull Jason off Deborah. Louis demanded that Jason stop. He knew his roommate would kill her if he didn't get himself under control. And in that moment, Jason seemed to come to his senses. They all caught their breaths and calmed down. Enough that Louis felt he could leave with his girlfriend and kids for a bit and the couple could be okay, just argue it out. But when Louis came back later that night, seemingly alone, he saw Deborah was still there. Only now, she was no longer breathing. Uh, I already have issues with this, but we'll keep going. She was lying on the floor, naked and dead. Terrified, Jason begged Louis to help him get rid of Deborah's body. That night, Jason took Deborah's car and left it in that random parking lot 17 miles from his home. Okay, maybe I'm a bad friend or a bad roommate. Because if any of my roommates ever killed someone or any of my friends ever killed someone, I'd be like, sorry guys, I'm, I gotta rat you out, man. That's a lot. Like, am I a rat for that? No. Like, if you killed someone, if you, I don't know, if you did something smaller, like if you robbed $10 million from a bank and you gave me half of it, of course I'm not gonna <sighs> rat you out. But if you kill someone, I'm ratting you out. Like, I'm telling on you. I, like, I understand ride or die, but he's not even a family member. Maybe they are family. Maybe they are, like, brothers. I don't even know. Even then, like, if you killed someone, babe, I'm ratting you out. I think. Yeah, I would rat you out, too. Yeah. If, you, if, if, like, if tomorrow everything's going the same way it's been going our entire marriage, yes. and tomorrow you come home and go, I killed someone, I would go to the police. Not like manslaughter, like I hit someone on no, a skateboard. No, 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 like no. you're talking about like I murdered like, someone. Yes, murdered. It would just someone. be so out of like Character. out of left field. You'd be like, I don't know him anymore. I would. I would be like, I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. Anyways, maybe we'll talk about that another time. So after this, he goes to Home Depot where he purchased several bags of concrete. He then placed Deborah into one of those tubs and with the help of Louis, filled it with wet concrete, allowing it to harden overnight, which is despicable. Horrible. Also, heavy. You, you probably wouldn't get caught. 
I've heard a story about someone who was Ugh, buried in horrible. concrete underneath a patio mm. and new owners came and oh and dug it up we're re- renovating okay. and dug it up couldn't pull it out to see what was in so they had to get like a little crane thing yeah pulled out because it was full of concrete and then yep. they found the body so on december 14th jason and louie tried to hide the tub at calais apartment but when she turned them away jason came up with another plan his other girlfriend agnes had been house sitting for a couple of performers who were overseas Jason had a set of keys to the house and decided this was the best place to hide his ex-girlfriend's body. Louis helped him bring the tub over to the essentially abandoned home. But when they got there, they noticed the tub had started leaking. So the two men did the unthinkable. They broke up the dried concrete, which obviously, along with that, broke up Deborah's body. Uh-huh. And redistributed her remains between two plastic bins. Oh, it's horrible before sealing them with another layer of wet con- of wet cement. Then they stuffed the tubs in a closet and just sort of hoped for the best, I guess. So after Louis' confession, he agreed to lead officers to the exact location where those bins were being stored. And sure enough, tucked away in that closet mm. of this random Las Vegas home were the blue bins containing Deborah's body, bringing the 25-day search for the missing fantasy dancer to an end. The following day, January 8th, 2011, police surrounded the Mirage Hotel and Casino. As Jason left a rehearsal for the resort's Cirque du Soleil show and arrested for the murder of Deborah Flores Narvaez. But as he was transported to the Clark County Detention Center, Jason made a desperate attempt to try and clear his name. Wasn't going where you thought. I thought he escaped and we haven't seen him since or something. And now he's going to show up at the front of my house. Wave now, a little brochure into the... And now I'm going to have to strangle him and then I'm going to be a murderer and yeah, crazy stuff. So he makes this desperate attempt to try and clear his name. He told a detective it wasn't his fault that Deborah had attacked him. Oh, get the freak. Get out of here, man. She had a gun in the bag she'd brought to his house that evening, which, you know, he'd acted purely out of self-defense. Uh, okay, well, how, how come Louie came in the house? came in the room and saw you on top of her strangling her if she had the gun. Yeah. Whether it was true or not, it was a theory that would have to be analyzed by a jury once Jason had his day in court. In the meantime, he was denied bail and forced to wait for his trial behind bars, a day that wouldn't come for another three years, thanks to a series of postponements. So by the time Jason's trial arrived, it was May 5th, 2014, and he was 35 years old. He'd pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder, sticking by that motive of self-defense. Throughout his testimony, Jason claimed that his relationship with Deborah had fatal attraction-style moments, referring to the movie. He said that he'd been stalked, threatened, harassed, even assaulted by Deborah on more than one occasion. He argued that he'd get hundreds of texts throughout the day, sometimes upwards of 40 phone calls when he didn't answer. He said whenever he tried to pull away, things would just get more intense, which might have had an air of truth to it, mainly because the defense pointed to 14 different 911 calls made by Jason in regards to altercations with mm, Deborah. Interesting. But try as he might, Jason was far from appearing like the victim in yep. this scenario. The prosecution spoke about the several times when Deborah filed reports after Jason had abused her with physical evidence proving so. They also pointed to his relationships with multiple women. Unfortunately, what they couldn't include for legal reasons was his history of violence with some of those other women, including his ex-wife. That doesn't make sense why they can't include it. I mean, I get I get the legal reasons. Yeah. 
but it that, sucks. That, yeah, it's dumb. Jason also mentioned a threatening letter that Deborah had supposedly left on his car one evening, a letter he knew for a fact was written as a joke by his roommate. Plus, Jason tried to say that Deborah had a gun on the night that she died. He claimed that during their heated argument, she reached for her bag where he believed she was storing the weapon. In an effort to stop her, he grabbed her and pulled her toward him, apparently by the neck, since her cause of death was asphyxiation. From there, he said he began pleading for her to stop, saying he didn't want to fight her. Then, after a few moments, he realized Deborah wasn't moving, and that's when he said he realized he had accidentally killed her, which, might I say, accidentally strangling someone to death seems awfully hard to do. The problem is, it's just this is all a lie because we already had the testimony from... Louis. Louis, yeah, so... But there's quite a few problems with Jason's side of the story. For one, you don't accidentally strangle someone to death, like I said. Two, there was zero evidence to suggest Deborah had ever purchased or was carrying a gun that evening. A gun that was never found. There were no receipts, no one to say she had borrowed one. And if this was all in self-defense and not premeditated, then Jason sure did go to great lengths to try and hide and dismember her body. A point that was reiterated by Louis when he took the stand to testify mm. against Jason. Okay. Throughout his testimony, Louis appeared visibly haunted by his actions. Between tears, he gave his own account of what had happened that December, while Jason managed to not show an ounce of emotion throughout the duration of his trial. So after nine days of patiently listening to all the testimonies and evidence, the jury was ready to deliberate. Took them two more days to come to wow. a verdict. On May 22nd, 2014, Jason was found guilty of second-degree murder. Still, he showed no emotion aside from blowing a kiss to his mother as he was carted away in handcuffs. When the jurors were asked why they settled on murder two instead of murder one, they felt confident. While Jason displayed little to no emotion during his trial, they didn't believe he'd woken up that day with plans to murder his ex-girlfriend. Which I would agree with. I, I think that's true. But it's also hard if you have a history of domestic violence feels a little meditated on like it's not planned because he probably didn't wake up thinking that but if you're waking up thinking it's okay to hit and punch your significant other or spouse every single day feels a little meditated it feels a little meditated correct um also might i add i don't know the exact time frame for something to be considered premeditation but i know it can happen like within moments mm, okay like you can have if you have any really? chance to turn and walk away but then continue on hurting someone Got it. then that could be considered premeditation because you like consciously had a moment to think about what you were doing okay unfortunately the case was indicative of a larger issue how we as society handle domestic violence when Jason was analyzed by psychiatric professionals, they believed they were dealing with an extreme case of narcissistic personality disorder. What a surprise. Which is a trait that can be somewhat endemic to domestically abusive partnerships, mainly because a narcissist lacks the ability to see their actions as unhealthy, and they fail to show empathy towards those who are affected by their behaviors. Making change and growth for either person in the relationship would be extremely unlikely. In 2010, the year Deborah was killed, the state of Nevada was ranked highest for murders spurred on by domestic violence. But that doesn't mean we should let Deborah's story get lost as just another statistic. Deborah was a confident woman, intelligent, with multiple degrees. She went after everything she wanted and fought for what she believed was right. But unfortunately, when it came to Jason, Deborah found herself without a voice. Powerless in a situation that no woman or man should ever have to find themselves in. 
Because leaving an abusive relationship is a lot easier said than done. They are nuanced, complicated, terrifying. And the less we empathize with those victims and survivors, the more cautionary tales we have to hear about. And that is the story of Deborah. Again, another death for no reason. Yeah. Which is always sad. And domestic violence is, is tough. I, it's a tough one because I know it's a lot of what police deal with. It's, I know it's a lot of what... And statistically, it's dangerous. Dangerous, yes. It's, it's very dangerous because it always seems to escalate. Yeah. It never seems to just stop at, oh, I just pushed her once. It, like we said, once you cross that line, it feels like it opens up a can of worms. It opens something in your brain and your head that mm-hmm. you got, I mean, maybe can reform or take back at some point, but I don't know. And, you know, I was hesitant to include the diagnosis for narcissism that he, Mm -hmm. you know, but he professionally got it. I think um, the word narcissist is kind of thrown around now in society, maybe just like as we diagnose people Uh without, you know, any professional degrees. Um, But I think in this case, he was professionally diagnosed. I mean, he had multiple girlfriends, like always. He seemed to be kind of like dragging these girlfriends around. Like it feels very spot on in this case. All right, you guys, that is our episode for this week. And we will see you next time with another one. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.